We are week two of living your best life, right? It's a, um, it's a pretty common phrase in this world's vernacular, right? Everybody wants to live their best life. I, I love it. We come up with phrases like live your best life as if that's something new, right? I mean, hasn't it always been everybody's desire to live their best life, right? So, you know... This generation, I guess, coined a phrase, but they certainly haven't captured a thought for the first time. You know, it's, it's, it's your desire as a parent most of the time for your children to live their best life, right? If you're a grandparent, you want what's best for your, for your grandkids. And listen, let's be honest for ourselves. Nobody wants to live a life less than their best. And so the world has, you can research it, the world has tons of people who claim to be experts on how to help you and I live our best life. Unfortunately, those experts in the world have a lot of traction, even within the church community. And so one of the challenges for Christian people in the church is learning that God already has specifics in mind to help us live our best life. It's not something that we have to figure out on our own. Now listen, there are decisions that you and I have to make in certain seasons of our life, but the actual pillars that we build our life on to live our best life already come from scripture. It's not something we have to create. And so it's my hope as we talk through this that you'll you as a follower of Christ will will learn that. And if you're here and you're or you're watching online, you're not a follower of Christ, we say the same thing all the time. We're so so very glad that you're here. Uh, my prayer, our prayer is always that your time here is a blessing to you, that you feel loved and welcomed. You're certainly welcome to question, disagree with. We're more than open to have those conversations with you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, it matters how we live our life. Can I get an amen, church? Listen, it matters what we build our life on. It matters as we try to be salt and light to the people around us. And listen, it's becoming an epidemic in our church. And, and you, as a person who goes to church, may not always hear this, but as a pastor, we're inundated with this stuff. That what's really under attack in the church today isn't an attack that's coming from outside of the church. It's an attack from within where Christian people just don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God. They love churches. I mean, listen, we were at a great church. We've been at great churches for conference all, conferences all over the place. People love good churches, Right? Good coffee. When we have bacon, right? I mean, we serve, we, you can come on, on a, on a Saturday night and you can eat supper at church, right? You can relax and eat supper. You can watch the service just sitting in a chair in the hallway, right? I mean, you can come to church here and lots of places never have to go inside the worship center, sit on a couch, drink your coffee. What, listen, we've made church so very, very comfortable, right? I mean, we've made it to where we've got ping pong tables and, and pool tables and video games and our children's and our student areas. We've made church, I mean, it, we've made church a great place to hang out, right? And some people love it. There's community. There's a sense of belonging. But without the Bible, it just doesn't mean anything. It's just another group of people gathering under a, a different name when all we've really become is a club. And at the end of the day, 
It is God's word. It is God's word that stands at the end of time. When Jesus returns, according to the book of Revelation, he will come on a white horse and his name, his name will be on his thigh and and his name will not be Jesus. It will be the word of God. Because it's the word of God that triumphs over evil. It's the word of God that sets us free from the lies of this world. And if you're a Christian and struggle with not having a relationship with God's word, listen, you're always going to struggle to live the best life that God has intended for you. And I don't know if our phones, listen, our phones have made everything more accessible, but I don't know if our phones have made any, have made anything more real. I just don't know, right? I don't know if that's the case or not. But I know that we live in an environment where nobody hardly brings their Bible to church anymore. Right? And that might be because we live in a world of technology. Great. But all, all I, listen, all I hope, Pastor Joe, Pastor Shane, Michael, David, Pastor Ben, all of them care. Listen, we just want you to build your life on the word of God because God is true to his word. Amen, church? And so here's one of the truths we learned last week. God, God's love is a pillar that you can build your best life on. Because God's love is protective, right? Listen, everybody, not, this isn't true for everybody because there's bad parents in the world. But most people intrinsically know this, that if you love somebody, at some point in time, you have to protect them because you love them. Does that make sense to you, church? Right? We say no to touching a hot stove because we love our children. Right? We say no to drinking what's under the sink because we want to protect our children. We say no to all kinds of things as adults to people because we love them. And yet when God says no, we get an arch in our back and we want to know why God is trying to rob us of all of our fun. Right? Listen, God's love is a protection for us against ourselves. And God's love is powerful. Right? I mean, to me, everybody wants a significant action to demonstrate their love for somebody. We're looking for the next big, the next big thing to show our love for somebody. God did the greatest thing that any human being could do for another. He sacrificed his life for them. Is there any greater act in the world to demonstrate your love to somebody than to give your life to them? No. God's love is extravagant. It is so powerful and extravagant. And here's the thing. God didn't wait for you to earn his sacrifice. God gave it when you couldn't. That's amazing love. I mean, people spend their entire lives looking for somebody to love them. And so many people sell their lives for some cheap imitation love and we we wonder why they do it because people are desperate to be loved and yet god's love is a pillar that you can build your life on and it has nothing to do with what we do and how we behave because god demonstrated his love toward us when we were unlovable he loved us anyway amen church i mean that's listen isn't that something you can build your life on okay Nobody? Come on. Yes, right? God's love is amazing. Let's talk about God's knowledge. So one of the great fears in any person's life 
maybe this isn't true for you, but 55, 56 now, and 30 years in ministry, being a husband and a father, one of the things that I've gleaned from human nature is, is we fear one of a couple things. We fear that we can live our life and nobody will ever know who we are, right? We live in a world where we say things like this. People just want to be heard, right? Somebody just wants to be heard. They just want you to acknowledge them. They need you or I to affirm that they have value and that they matter, right? I mean, everybody in here wants that. Is there anybody in here that doesn't want somebody to know them well enough to believe in them, right? I mean, we tell it to our kids all the time. Listen, man, you can tell me anything. Why? Because we fear that if our children don't talk to us, they won't talk to anybody. And once you isolate yourself and believe that nobody cares, you're in trouble. Or this, we're afraid that somebody might know us too well and when they know who we really are, they won't want to hang around us, right? So we pretend. I mean, it's a great thing about social media, right? I mean, <laughs> you can lie. You can lie on a dating website. You can even post a picture that's not you. Now, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of this, but I've been told by reliable sources that you can pose on a dating app to be somebody you're not, right? Imagine the disappointment in that first date, right? But we live in a world where social media, and, and listen, I'm not an expert in social media. I don't have Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat. I've never been on a dating website. But I do know this, that that kind of access creates Anonymity, because we don't have to be real with anybody. We can be somebody or not, because at some level, all of us have a little bit of fear that having somebody know us too well puts us in a really fearful position. Because if they really know what I struggle with, if they really know what I failed at, right? If they know what I thought, would they really want to be around me? Right? Would they really be okay with me? And listen, one of the greatest fears of, of children as they grow up and teenagers is, if my mom and dad really knew what I struggled with, would they, would they love me? Right? Because listen, knowledge at some level is power, is it not? Right? I mean, how many of you have ever said this to somebody you're in a relationship with? Whether you're dating, whether you're friends, or whether you're married. How many of you have ever said this? Hey, what are you thinking? Anybody ever say that? Right? Hey, 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 what, what are you thinking about right now? Right? Why do we ask that? Because we don't know. Right? Not knowing is a horrible feeling. How, 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 are, you, how are you feeling? Are you feeling, right? Are you feeling okay? Right? And those of us who ask the question are incredibly frustrated at those who don't want to answer it. And yet somehow we keep marrying each other, right? That doesn't make any sense to me. You should ask that every date you have. And if, they, if you're the questioner, you should immediately just discard that person, right? Because if they won't answer it, you're in for a life of frustration. Can I get an amen, questioners, right? Listen, we 
we know at some level knowing matters because knowing gives us knowledge. How many of you have ever been to a doctor and you've had to have a test run and they've taken the test, right? But you have to wait several days for the results, right? That period of not knowing can drive you crazy, can it not? Just not knowing. And maybe this isn't familiar to some of you, but being pulled over by a police officer while they take your license and registration and they disappear to their car and they're gone for what seems an unbelievable long time and you're in your car wondering, is it going to be a verbal warning? Is it going to be a written warning? Am I going to have to lie to my spouse about the ticket I got? Right? Right? Listen, here's the thing. All of those gaps between where we're at and what we don't know can be overwhelming to people, right? Students fear, fear taking tests. Why? Because they just don't know if they're going to know the answers to the questions. It's why people still test. It's why people cheat. Because the fear of not knowing is a powerful feeling. And here's the thing about God. He is an all-knowing God. He knows everything. The Bible uses some scriptures like this. Let's read a couple of them. I've got a ton of scriptures in your notes. I'm not going to cover all of them tonight because I just don't have time. But I hope that you'll take the time to read them, especially in context. Listen to this. I don't... I don't. Job 37, 14 through 16. Listen to this. Listen to this, Job. This is one of his counselors, Elihu. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? Listen to this. Do you know how the clouds hang poised those wonders of him who has what? Perfect knowledge. Perfect. The Hebrew word there means complete. Right? Without any void or without any lack. God's knowledge is complete. It's perfect. Here's Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2. Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. Listen, there are tons of scriptures, again, that point to this indisputable truth. That God's knowledge is absolutely infinite, without beginning or end, and it is complete. Listen, all of you have either been on the receiving end of this conversation or you've been the one doing the interrogating, right? You've sat down with a child or you've sat down with a spouse or you've sat down with a boyfriend or girlfriend or you've sat down with your friend and you've asked a ton of questions to get the story straight. And at some point in time in the story, you ask them, is, is there anything else you need to tell me? And they say... No, no, that's it. And you know in your gut they're lying. Right? Anybody? Right? And here's the thing. You can't prove what your gut tells you. So at some level, you have to take them at their word or call them a liar 
and live with the consequences. God's knowledge has none of those struggles. Zero. None of them. Now listen, we're going to talk. We're going to talk tonight. I'm going to give you three what I believe are just are just hopes and promises of God's knowledge. And some of them are going to be hopefully a little bit uncomfortable. But when you tie these three attributes of God together that we're going to talk about over these three weeks, listen, you can learn that your best life is entrusting in a God who has nothing but love for us and has unlimited knowledge, complete and infinite without investigation. So here's, here's the first, what I believe is the first promise that we can get from God's knowledge, right? And that is that God's knowledge brings comfort. It brings comfort. I'm going to read Psalm 147, 4 and 5. God determines the number of the stars, calls each of them by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding or knowledge has no limit. A few years ago, scientists estimated that there were 70 million, million, million stars in the galaxy. That is 70 with 22 zeros behind it. That's how many stars that they estimate, they estimated were in the galaxy. And God knows every one of them by name. I have five kids and I can't keep their name straight. I call Japheth every child's name before I finally figure out what his name is. All right. And I remember my mom doing it, right? I'd come in the house and be like, Hey, Dallas, Melissa, Shauna, Cord, right? Like she just met me for the first time, right? Listen, God's knowledge is so amazing that he knows the name of over 70 million, million, million stars in the galaxy. And that's just our best guess at how many there are, right? God's knowledge is, can, be, can be overwhelming. Listen to Matthew 10, 29 and 30. He says, are not two sparrows, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Jesus said, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of the Father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, for some of you, that's not a struggle. I get that, right? But imagine that. God's knowledge is so not just infinite, but so detailed that he never misses a sparrow falling to the ground. And he knows intrinsically how many hairs are on your head. Can you fathom that? I mean, can you fathom having a clue how many hairs are on your head? I mean, if you sat in a chair tonight and asked somebody who loves you more than life itself to count the number of hairs on your head, do you even think that you could trust their count would be accurate? No. And yet the Bible says God's knowledge is so amazing that he not only knows the name of 70 million, million, million stars, he knows how many hairs are on your head. And here's the thing. He doesn't have to investigate it. He just knows it intrinsically. That's pretty amazing to me. But here's the most comforting part of God's knowledge. And that is that he knows you. He knows me. Listen to these scriptures. These are amazing. Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms in all of scripture. David says, you've searched me, Lord, and you know me. 
So let's be clear about this as we go forward. Listen, one of the biggest lies that Satan tells us is that nobody knows you. Nobody gets me, right? People say they do. They say things like, listen, I understand what you're going through. And yet somewhere deep inside of us, there's a liar telling us nobody gets you. Nobody knows you. You're all alone. Listen, every time the devil tells you those things, quote Psalm 139.1. That's the power of the truth. Because the Bible says when you resist the devil, he will flee. And we've always, always talked about it in the context of sin. Listen, here's the power of the devil. He is a liar. Come on, somebody say amen. He's a liar. So where do you think all of those lies in your head? You're alone. Nobody cares for you. Listen, there are people in our church every single day of the week who've been neglected and abused and taken advantage of, and they certainly have a right to feel that nobody cares and nobody knows them. But God does. And if you're a believer in Jesus, it's time you start putting that word into your head instead of listening to the voices that come from the liar who tell you nobody's ever going to love you. Nobody's ever going to want to know you. And even if they did know you, they would never want to be around you. Do you have any idea how disgusting you are? Do you have any idea how embarrassing you are? Listen, those are the devil's lies. And Psalm 139 verse 1, bring that verse back up, says this. You've searched me, Lord, and you what? Know me. Nobody in here is ever alone. Nobody. Never happens. And listen, the minute you can set yourself free from the lie that speaks the narrative in your head, you can't be free. You can be free. But see, Christians just don't know the Bible. They don't know the promises. So what do they do? They go to the Google. They go to the Internet. They go to books, human words, and they cling to the hope that they bring. Listen, God's word provides the promise. Your teenager never has to live in his room alone and feel like nobody gets him. Put Psalm 139 verse 1 on the mirror in their bathroom. Write it on their hand in permanent marker, right? <coughs> Excuse me, but make those things known. Because those, listen, those are the reasons we preach. He says this. Not only do you know me, he says this. You know when I sit, and God knows when I rise. He knows when I sit, and he knows when I rise. Isn't that ridiculous? Right? Here's the thing. Some of you, listen, you're, you're all very wonderful people, okay? All of you online are very wonderful people. We are so glad you're here. But listen, none of you care whether I sit or stand. None of you care whether I sit or stand. And yet I'm so significant to God that he knows when I sit and when I rise. Come on, man. Listen, and here's the thing. When... When you as a believer begin to believe those things and trust them and take them at their word, the devil has no place to lie to you. None. Listen, let's just be honest about something. You and I live in a world where if we're dependent upon somebody else for our validation or affirmation or even love, we're going to be shortchanged and disappointed. Listen, it's just going to happen. Marriage is a difficult proposition. Any relationship is. And you're going to have to develop some self-sustaining abilities in some really, really bleak seasons. 
Because people at their core are disappointing. They disappoint us. And listen, you might be sitting in a season where you're like, that's not true. They don't know me. My marriage is great. My relationship is wonderful. Hang on. Right? Because life's hard. It's tough. Right? So what begins to happen is Satan is so crafty. And he begins to whisper how alone you are. And nobody gets you and nobody knows you. And the next thing you know, our teenager is lost and confused and hurt. And they're searching and they're looking. Right? When all we need is the truth of God's word. He knows when I said that when I rise, he said, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Right? You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before, listen, this is crazy, right? Before I speak a word on my tongue, you, Lord, know it what? Completely. Man, wouldn't you love to have that skill, right? Like, that would be the greatest weapon in an argument ever, right? Like, to know what somebody, I know what you're going to say. And we're hardly ever right, right? But God knows completely. He says this, you hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful me, too lofty for me to attain. You see, here's the great thing about the knowledge of God. It's infinite. It has no investigation required. It's so amazing that it would know the names of 70 million, million, million stars. It knows the number of hairs on our heads. And yet it is so personal that he knows you're rising and you're sitting. You're lying down and you're going out. He knows your thoughts. He knows us completely. And I don't know about you, but knowing me, the fact that God knows me intimately and completely is a comfort to me. Because there are lots of people in the world that just don't get me. People who say they love you, people who call themselves family and friends, there are lots of things you can't tell those people because they just wouldn't get it, right? But God is not like that. God's knowledge isn't just infinite. It's absolutely individual too. And the individual knowledge of you and me is so complete, it should make us feel comforted. Even when the world doesn't want to know us, even when your spouse or your children don't have anything to do with you, it's in those moments the devil lies. He shows up. Disguises himself as an angel of light, of truth. If you know your word, you can quote that word to the devil. And the Bible says when you resist him, he will what? He'll flee. And if the devil will take his lies out of your difficult season, you can be free even in a series or a season where it's just nothing but dark. Right? I think God's knowledge is incredibly comforting. Right? I'm going to read one more scripture here. Uh, Matthew or Psalm 56, 8. I love this. This is God's knowledge of us. David writes, record my misery, list my tears on your scroll, are are they not on your record? God knows every tear you've ever shed. His knowledge isn't limited by you hiding in your car and crying, or locking yourself in your room and crying, or turning your head away from somebody to pretend that, that they can't see you. 
The Bible says that God's knowledge is so amazing that he records every tear you've ever cried. One more, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, drink, or about your body, what you're going to wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? When you're younger, that seems to be true. But when you get older, you got to have clothes, right? So that verse didn't make sense to me when I was 25. But now that I'm 56, it's like, I worry about the clothes I'm going to wear, right? Look at the birds. I know it's sharing too much. You might not like me. I'm, you know, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your father, heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of us by worrying add a single hour to your life? No. And so, and so why do we worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is just here today and tomorrow's gone, will he not much more clothe you, a little, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink or what are we going to wear? For the pagans, the unbelievers, run after all these things and your heavenly, listen to this, your heavenly Father, what? That you need them. So seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all those things they'll be taken care of, right? I don't know about you, but I think God's knowledge is a great source of comfort, especially in a world where the devil's primary lie to people in our day and age is to convince people that nobody gets them. I think it's a comfort. Amen, church? How about this one? God's knowledge is such that it gives us confidence. Okay, I'm going to read some of these verses, sort of rapid fire, because, listen, God's knowledge creating confidence can feel like an oxymoron, especially after you hear these verses, okay? So listen to these verses. Job 16, 17. <clears throat> That's not the right verse, so skip that one, okay? I, I can just tell by reading it, right? Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. If you went to church anywhere when you were growing up, this verse was quoted. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. See, already the language is creating some fear, right? It's alive, it's active, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. Listen to this, joints and marrow. The Word of God judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing, nothing. Everybody say nothing, right? Everybody online, everybody in here one more time. Everybody say nothing. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. This is, these are verses that will give you nightmares. Nothing is hidden and everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes to him to whom we must give account. Amen, right? Those are scary verses. How about this one? Psalm 139.4 Before words on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Think of all the things that you have said over the years that have not brought God glory. Think about the fights. Think about the irrational anger. Think about the cuss words and the off-color jokes and the inappropriate comments. Think about everything that you've said. Just take a minute. Let's just think about it together. 
Every word you've ever said. Listen, some of you raised kids and you said this. We're never going to fight in front of our kids. Here's why. Because I never want our kids to hear us fight. But that doesn't work with God. He knows every word we've ever said. And we have to give an account for it. We see God, you don't understand. Right? You didn't try to raise this kid, right? You have no idea how hard marriage is, God, right? You haven't worked for my boss. Listen, those those verses can be scary. How about how about this one? First Chronicles twenty eight verse nine. You, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father. Serve him with a wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. Listen to this. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. So, God sees everything we do. Everything. Everybody say the word nothing. Nothing is hidden. Everybody say the word everything. And everything is laid bare. God knows every word we've ever spoken. And now... He knows every thought and every desire that we have that's hidden from the person sitting beside you. And you've got to give account for it. I don't know about you, but that doesn't give me a lot of confidence. Because my only, my only takeaway from that is, I pray that nobody who knows me stands in line behind me at the judgment seat of Jesus, right? Like, I, that's... This is so stupid, but that's my greatest fear. Like, like who's going to be in line behind me when they open the book up and start going, oh, you know, I'm like, I can just see a bunch of heads shaking back there, right? Like, that doesn't give me a lot of confidence, right? Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are where? <laughs> you know, my... My dad, my mom, parents, just in general at times, try to put the fear in you. Like, listen, I'm watching you, right? Like, you better be careful and you better be good because I'm watching you. There ain't a kid, there ain't a kid ever been raised that believes that, right? We, if we know anything about our children when they're away from us, we just get lucky. Every once in a while, we just get lucky and we get a piece of knowledge. And then when they, how, how did you know that? And we say, I know, I know everything right we don't know anything right listen listen to that verse the eyes of the lord are what and they keep watch on the wicked and the good so everything we've done everything we've done nothing hidden it's all laid bare before god and we got to answer for it every word we've ever spoken every word we've ever spoken Every word you've apologized for in tears because you let your mouth get the best of you. Every one of them, God knows. And then every thought and every desire of the secret space inside of us, God knows. And his eyes are everywhere, keeping watch on everyone all the time. It's crazy, right? Here's where the confidence comes from. Peter. Peter, right? The apostle who constantly had his foot in his mouth, right? 
I'll go wherever you go, Jesus. If you're dying, I'm dying. Right? If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna wash me, wash my whole entire body, right? I'll never leave you, forsake you, all of those things. And then when you read the gospel accounts of the eyewitnesses to Jesus' crucifixion, you find Jesus promising Peter before the rooster crows on the night of my crucifixion, you'll betray me three times. And it's exactly what the gospel writers record. That on three separate occasions when Peter was asked about knowing Jesus, Peter said, I don't know the man. He even cussed and screamed at a little girl. I don't know him. And at the moment, the cock crowed, Jesus made eye contact with Peter. Can't imagine the feeling of having Jesus peer through your soul and know that you denied him three times. And so Jesus died, was buried, rose again. And what did Peter and the boys do? They'd gone back, as Joe had said a few weeks ago, they went back fishing. They went back fishing. And lo and behold, they come in one night and there they are on the shore. Jesus is on the shore. He's got a, he's got a charcoal fire going and they come up and guess what? Jesus has made breakfast. And in that moment, a God who sees everything, where nothing is laid or nothing is hidden, where every word is known, where every thought and desire of the heart is exposed, and where God's eyes are everywhere, seeing both good and bad, Jesus wants to have a conversation with Peter. Listen, we've all been in conversations where we get confronted by somebody that we've done wrong, right? Those are awkward conversations, right? You go into them with fear and trepidation because you know you messed up. You know you're going to get called on the carpet for it. You get that, that feeling in the pit of your stomach. But here's the conversation that Jesus has with Peter in John chapter 21. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You what? You know that I love you. So Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus asked the second time and said, Peter, do you love me? Now listen, if you ask somebody if they love you and they say, yes, you know I do. And then five seconds later, you ask it again. You just communicated to that person that you what? You don't believe them. So Jesus asked a second time. Do you love me? And Peter said, you know I do. Right? He said to him, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon said of John, do you love me? Peter was what? Hurt. Listen, if you ask somebody, hey, do you love me? And they're like, you know I do. And then five seconds later, you're like, listen, are you sure you love me? You might be able to tolerate that, a little irritated that they don't believe you, but you'll be fine. But if they come back to you a third time and go, man, are you sure you love me? You're probably going to be a little hurt. Because that person has clearly communicated to you, they don't know that. And they don't know if they can believe you. And it says that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. Do you love me? Listen to Peter's response. Lord, you know what? You know all things. You know that I what? I love you. 
Listen, here's the thing about, here's the thing about God's knowledge. In spite of what God knows about you, and he knows everything, everything, God still loves us. You see, here's the thing with humans. If we know you too well, we might redirect our love. Because maybe we'll find something out about you we don't like. Maybe as a parent, we find out something about our child that really causes us to struggle with loving our child. We may find it out about a friend and struggle because our, our knowledge as it grows over time about an individual always affects our love for that person. Would you agree with that? Whether it's good or bad. You see, in a human, in a human, knowledge has more power than love. Because the more we know, the less we love or the more we love. That is not the case with God. You see, God's knowledge can be a comfort to you. His intimate knowledge of you can be a comfort to you. It can be a confidence to you. Because here's the thing about God's knowledge. It has always been there about you and me. And in spite of that, he loved us anyway. Hey, go to that last verse in there. That last verse in Ephesians chapter 1. This is the promise, right? This is the promise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us. Everybody say, he chose me. One, two, three. One more time. He chose you before, the Bible says, the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Listen to this. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Listen. Before the foundation of the world, before your face ever darkened a hospital room, God's knowledge of you was complete. Complete. And in spite of that, his love for you won out. You see, God's knowledge can be a comfort. God's knowledge can be a confidence. Because God is not like you and me. He does not withhold love based on what we learn about each other every other day. God's love is never, ever imprisoned by the knowledge God has for you because God's love is infinite and has nothing to do with who we are and everything to do with who he is. Amen, church? Listen, I don't know about you, but if I got to... If I got a person that loves me that much and a person that knows me that much, I can build the best life ever, right? I can build it. And so we're going to wrap the series up the next time we're together and talk about God's plan. Because when you combine God's love and God's power with God's plan for you, you got nothing, nothing to do but live your best life. Amen, church? All right, let's pray. Forgive us, forgive me, God, when I see you through my eyes. When I try to devalue your eternal existence, your divine nature, 
and see you through just my human nature. There's nobody listening right now who hasn't been the victim of someone withholding their love based on what they've learned about the other person. Every person in the room knows that feeling. Every person watching online knows that feeling. And so because of that, we have a hard time believing that there's a, that there's a being out there that doesn't operate that way. So I pray for our church today, God. I pray for every person here, everybody online, <clears throat> that they'll live their best life. The one that you have planned for them since the foundation of the world. That you made them to walk in those good, those good plans, those good deeds that you have for them. And help us to have comfort in a world where the liar tells us you're alone and nobody gets us. God, teach us to live in the truth and to speak the truth in love and set ourselves free from the liar. And help us to have confidence. Confidence because we serve a God that knows everything about us. Everything we'll ever say, do, think, knows it all. And yet, because of your great love for us, you've chosen us before the foundation of the world to live our life in your son, Jesus. So I'm grateful for those promises. May your Holy Spirit make those truth to us so we can live our best life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.